Hamas knows that in going on the attack, drawing Israel into this fight, it's going to create these horrible scenes of carnage, real carnage, that's going to inflame the world, especially the Muslim world, and hopefully draw everybody into this giant war. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, November 1st. Today, I'm joined by Julia Yaffe with the latest on the war between Israel and Hamas and whether the conflict could escalate into a wider war in the region. Julia also looks at whether Israel has committed any war crimes or violated international laws with their military response in Gaza. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to November and welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Julia Yaffe to talk about the latest in the war between Israel and Hamas. Late last week, Israel announced that they were expanding ground operations in Gaza. After basically three weeks of bombardment and aerial attacks, they are expanding their ground operations. Julia, President Biden said he spoke on Monday with Prime Minister Netanyahu about Gaza, and they, quote, discussed efforts to secure the release of hostages and help Americans in Gaza leave safely. How should we be thinking about the hostages in Gaza right now with Israel and the IDF really just, like, raising (laughs) most of the Strip of Gaza? I mean, how can any of these people be safe? Well, it seems like the original hypotheses that the hostages were being held in the tunnels under Gaza Mm -hmm. is correct because one of the hostages who was released, an elderly woman, confirmed that she was being held in uh, underground in a tunnel with dozens of other hostages and that, you know, she was led through and it was just, you know, a crazy maze. And as reporting over the years has shown, uh, including some fantastic reporting by Adam Goldman and others at the New York Times, these tunnels are built very deep underground and they Mm. are built to withstand these kinds of rocket attacks. And then conversely, you have Israel trying to use different methods to smoke out these tunnels and to collapse their entrances or to plug their entrances with sponge bombs or to use these munitions that burrow into the ground before exploding, but obviously in a place as densely populated and densely built up as Gaza in order to get underground and explode or get underground and plug up the whole of one of these tunnels, it would have to do a whole lot of damage 
to infrastructure above ground. So that is how. And also we've had Hamas claiming throughout that some of these airstrikes have killed hostages. On Monday, they said that some 50 hostages had been killed by these airstrikes. We don't Mm -hmm. know if that's true, but it could be. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, not only it could be, I mean, it seems likely. And then the other the other thing here is with the war underway and expanding, it feels like it's going to be even harder to get humanitarian assistance in. Like, obviously, there are lots of calls for a ceasefire. But um, John Kirby said on Monday that that would only favor Hamas. Well, I think it depends what kind of aid you're talking about. There mm-hmm. are these trucks coming in and it's a fraction of what Gaza needs mm-hmm. because of the siege that Israel imposed because of the attacks that Hamas waged on October 7th. There could be more trucks going in, but Israel has said it wants to inspect these trucks to make sure that weapons aren't being let in from Hamas. But one expert I spoke to made a good point, which is that you know, if that's your condition on the aid going in, mm-hmm. then provide more inspectors mm. or work with the U.S. to provide more inspectors if you trust them. You know, if you are the limiting factor, then do something to allow the aid going in. But again, the aid going in is still a Band-Aid given what's happening. Right. And you only need the aid because of the war going on and the siege that Israel has imposed on Gaza, which according to experts has now gone on too long to be in compliance with Mm. international uh, law. That said, Hamas seems to be doing just fine. That hostage that we spoke about earlier, the 85-year-old woman said, you know, they seemed incredibly prepared for this. They had food, Mm. they had water, they had medicine. And this, this is what we've been hearing from all kinds of channels, which is that Hamas has stockpiles of everything it needs to survive for months. Mm. But the people above ground that Hamas claims to be representing don't have it, right? Like, mm-hmm. in some ways, the hostages, the Israeli hostages that Hamas took are safer in Gaza than Gazans in Gaza, mm. which is one of the perversions of what Hamas is doing. That is dark. I do want to ask you about possible violations of international law on Israel's part um, after the break. But before we do that, Al Jazeera just filed a piece before I came on with you basically saying people in Lebanon are worried about a regional war um, because Hezbollah is firing rockets into Israel. Um, They're also backed by Iran, like Hamas. The Yemenis are fucking with Israel, (laughs) too. Mm -hmm. What's the concern in, in... in the blob, in the diplomatic world about this becoming a wider war in the region right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the concern, that it would become a wider region in which many countries are drawn in. You've seen even countries that were uh, relatively friendly or kind of relatively frenemous with Israel just totally leave it out to dry and, and twist in the wind. I'm thinking about Turkey Russia. But, you know, the thing that I keep thinking about is that Hamas is doing a great job. Like, this is exactly what they wanted. They waged a spectacular terrorist attack in the very literal sense of the word. They captured the world's attention. They drew 
a response from Israel that they knew would be coming, a, a response that would be devastating to civilians in Gaza. And in many ways, Hamas has ensured that by, and again, this has been reported by many outlets, including the UN, who has um, scolded Hamas for doing this, for storing weapons in its in UN schools, for setting up in the Al-Shifa hospital, which has been the source of much controversy. Mm-hmm. Hamas operates above ground quite openly there, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so... Hamas knows that in going on the attack, drawing Israel into this fight, it's going to create these horrible scenes of carnage, real carnage, that's going to inflame the world, especially the Muslim world, and hopefully draw everybody into this giant war. And that this will be kind of the final battle. You know, the various telegram channels are lit up with conversations of global jihad. Mm. I don't know if you saw what happened on Sunday night in Dagestan, in a, yes. which is a mostly Muslim republic in, in Russia. I mean, it's insane. I've been in that airport many times. I've been to Dagestan. That is not something I ever expected to see there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people running on onto the tarmac and climbing planes and looking for Jews and stopping cars and checking people's passports. But I think this is all this all plays very well into Hamas's hands. A lot of my Jewish friends are actually posting the Dagestan airport video as you know, just saying like the, the anti-Semitism is everywhere and like people want to kill us. Yeah, but you know, there's obviously sure a huge diaspora of Russian Jews around the world. This might be a dumb question non-Jew here, uh, is Russia like known for being militantly anti-Semitic? Oh, Peter. Yes. I mean, have you heard of, have you heard of the old classic, the protocols of the elders of Zion? That was, that was written in Russia, but here's the thing. Russia was known as militantly anti-Semitic and it is still very anti-Semitic, but that was among the white Christian population. Mm -hmm. What's ironic here is that this is a Muslim republic that in the Caucasus Mountains that was violently colonized by Christian Russia. Now, Vladimir Putin, the head of Russia, who is waging an imperialistic colonialist war in uh-huh. Ukraine, is telling everyone that he is the leader of the global south and the leader of the anti-colonialist movement. Mm-hmm. And that he's siding with Hamas on this. He just had a delegation of Hamas leaders in Moscow, uh, gave them a warm greeting while telling his best friend Bibi to fuck off. And that's sending a certain signal to populations mm-hmm. in Russia that were didn't tend to be as violently anti-Semitic as the white Christians. So this is just like a really bizarre turn that these that these people are turning on the Jews because of what's happening far away in Israel and Palestine between Jews and Muslims, but not turning on the people who have actually subjugated them and colonized them, who are the white Christian Russians. Fascinating. Thank you for the education on that. I want to take a quick break, come back and ask you about an interview you did with an expert on international law about what Israel is doing in Gaza. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. 
The Evening Standard raves, the gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. I'm talking all things Israel and Gaza with Julia Yaffe. Julia, I actually want to, um, before getting into your interview with David Sheffer, at the Council on Foreign Relations about international law. I just want to read to you a statement that AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. put out on Monday that I thought was a very good statement. Oh, I didn't see it. What'd she say? She said, now more than ever, we must emphasize the importance of separating people from governments. Anti-Semitism is disgusting and unacceptable. We have a responsibility to defend our Jewish brothers, sisters, and siblings from hatred. No movement of integrity should tolerate it ever. And this is on Instagram. And in the caption, she goes on to say, Palestinians and those who advocate for them are not equivalent to Hamas. And then she says, Israelis and those concerned for Jewish safety are not equivalent to the acts of the Israeli government. A little bit of both sides in there, but like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> like, it feels like the, as a, sure, as an avatar, she is an avatar of the left. And certainly she's like, not fully beloved by the left in the way that she used to be. And her colleagues in the squad have not said anything like this, but it sounds like her, and I've seen sort of a little bit of this from other uh, progressives on on the internet lately, is they are realizing that certain elements of the pro-Palestinian left and the campus left in this country are hurting the cause and are are being anti-Semitic. And AOC- Correct. Stepped up in that statement, and look, that would have been useful a few weeks ago, but she stepped up and said, hey guys, this Hamas is not good. And that's like a simple statement that I feel like needed to be heard by some people on the left. It's a young she, people. she did. I, I, I will say that she came out early on this yeah. um, on Sunday, October 8th, the day after the Hamas attacks on Israel, which, by the way, I just I think what is insane to me is some of the premises that are that are underlying these statements. Right. Hamas terrorists crossed into sovereign Israeli territory. Israel is a country that was created by the United Nations, was recognized by hundreds of countries in the United Nations. And this idea that that doesn't count and that these terrorists were actually freedom fighters and that this is not a legitimate state and so they they could be justified in doing what they were doing or that the people who live in the sovereign territory of a sovereign country are settlers, even if they're not in Gaza or the West Bank, is just fucking mind-blowing to me. And Mm so on October 8th, there was a rally in Times Square where some really insane things were said, Mm -hmm. uh, very anti-Semitic things. The bodies were still being counted. There were still gun battles happening in Israel to try to secure some of these towns. Mm 
And people were protesting and saying things like from the river to the sea and by all means necessary. And what did you think decolonization meant or it's not a metaphor? And AOC came out and said, you know, this is not hard. She literally said, this is not hard. Mm -hmm. Anti-Semitism is not okay. You don't have to like the government of Israel to say that these actions are not okay. You can condemn this terrorist attack and condemn settlement activity in the West Bank. You can, you know, like you can do both. You can have room in your mind and in your heart for both Mm -hmm. and not be a crazy asshole. And I think she's absolutely right. It is not that hard. And I think you're right. She did talk about anti-Semitism early. This felt like an even more declarative statement in the wake of some of the protests we've seen. And and again, I'm glad she she said it. Yeah. I also want to say, as more and more stuff emerges about Hamas and the attacks and some of this footage that emerges, some of the notes that were found on the bodies of these terrorists, some of what is said in these protests. And what you hear is sometimes you hear criticism of the Israeli government, but a lot of times you hear kill the Jews. And that to me does not sound like a critique of Bibi Netanyahu or of the settlement, uh, the settlers in the West Bank or of the siege of Gaza. That is just straight up anti-Semitism. And it should not be hard to distinguish the two. So, Julie, you have an interview up on Puck with David Sheffer from the Council on Foreign Relations. He's an expert on international law and criminal justice. What does he say about, speaking of some of the protests and calls for a ceasefire, what does he say about whether international laws have been violated? Has Israel violated any laws with their response in Gaza so far? So the interesting thing about David is that he was Madeleine Albright's right-hand man in the United Nations and then at the State Department basically for all eight years uh, that she served the Clinton administration. And he was uh, one of the writers of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. He set up the Yugoslav Tribunal to try people for war crimes that were committed during the wars in the former Yugoslavia. So this, this is a man who not only knows what he's talking about, but has been a practitioner and kind of a precedent setter in mm-hmm. his own right mm-hmm. on international law. And so I approached him with the exact question you had, which is, you know, a lot of accusations are being thrown around. Israel is being accused of violating international law, of war crimes. What do you think about that? And David, who completely surprised me with this, and I'm not sure why in retrospect, but he said, the first thing he said was, yes, war crimes have been committed. They were committed on October 7th Hmm. by Hamas when they crossed into Israeli territory. They specifically targeted civilians for rape, torture, hostage taking. That was a clear violation of international law. Those were war crimes. Mm. And for some reason, it did not occur to me that that would, you know, because like Hamas is a terrorist organization. And Mm -hmm. it for some reason in my head, it was like, well, that, that obviously they're like the law doesn't apply to them. They're terrorists. But David effectively said, well, why not? You can't have this black hole in international law where terrorist groups are just walking around and none of this applies to them. Mm-hmm. That's a very dangerous world. Furthermore, he said Hamas is de jure and de facto the governing body of Gaza. So they are, in fact, a government and they did commit war crimes. 
So that was, I mean, to me, I was like, whoa, why? That is so obvious, but also wild. Yes, people forget that Hamas is, in fact, a government. Uh, and Israel is responding to an act of aggression from another government. <laughs> what, yeah. So what about Israel, though? What I mean, are they overstepping? Yeah, so he was saying that uh, the, the starting point is that Israel is, in fact, allowed under the UN Charter to defend itself and to basically attack Hamas in response for this. But the things like the siege, which has now been going on for over three weeks, is definitely problematic. Mm-hmm. Targeting hospitals, if they are in fact targeting hospitals, no, even if there are Hamas cells in them or under them, mm-hmm. definitely probably not kosher. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is he told me that he explained that there's this whole, basically this whole process. And when you're a country with precision-guided munitions and sophisticated weaponry like Israel, like Russia, like the U.S., like the United Kingdom, there's an extra duty to do your due diligence. And uh, he was talking about how in the NATO campaign in the former Yugoslavia, and this continues to be the case, that you have military officers there deciding how each airstrike will go and determining how many you know, what the civilian casualties might be from each strike. Mm. And there are probably now records of that on the Israeli side, and they will have to be examined in any investigation. One example we talked about where Israel might be um, in clear violation of international law is over the weekend, they released a video of two Palestinian men that they interrogated who said that, yes, there was a uh, Hamas cell under the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza. And that was a clear violation, according to David. I, I mean, I also was concerned when I, when I saw this for the same reason of the Geneva Conventions in which you do not do things like this with prisoners of war, people you interrogate. You do not put them on display. You do not put out videos of them. You do not shame them. Mm. And so as I was talking to our friend and colleague, John, about, you know, he also asked, he's like, so are war crimes being committed? And I was like, looks like Hamas is committing war crimes. Israel's committing war crimes. Mm. And uh, it fucking sucks. Lovely note to end this conversation on, but everyone go read. (laughs) Everyone go read this article, though. It's a good Q&A about this very topic your interview with David Sheffer up on Puck. Thank you, Julia. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.